uh, throughout the sermon, the video, the worship is, who is this Jesus? We're looking at Colossians, and we learned a couple of weeks ago, and last week Bob preached um, on Colossians and the week before that, and I introduced this concept of what Paul was defending in this letter to the church at Colossae. It's this idea of not to take away or not to add to who Christ is in the gospel of Jesus. And he was defending and, and, and going against this teaching that was creeping into the church. It was this Jewish legalism. Uh, there was this mysticism that was being brought into the teaching of the, the basic true trueness of the gospel. And Paul wrote this letter to the church to say, hey, I want to bring you back into who Christ is, into the true gospel. And so that was my question for you today is, who is Jesus to you? We hear that, that question being asked to Peter by Jesus. Jesus asked Peter, says, who do people say that I am? He said, well, some people say that you're a prophet. Some people say that you're John the Baptist, Elijah, whoever it may be. He said, this is what people are saying that you are, that you're a good teacher, that you're a rabbi. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, who do you say that I am? And that's my question to you today. Who do you say that Jesus is? And you've probably heard these things throughout the world and those that you work with, those that you rub shoulders with. They say, well, Jesus was a good person. He was kind of our moral compass, if you will. He's a good teacher. There's principles that Jesus taught. Like I rarely hear people say, well, Jesus was a bad guy. He was a good guy. He taught us some good things to live by. But I ask that question, who do you say Jesus is? So we're going to do something a little bit different today. And in front of you or with you, you should have some note cards and a pen. Uh, if you don't, please let uh, someone in the back or let Amanda know, and we will get that for you. So what I would like for you to do is, and everyone just listen to the instructions before you start writing. First step, I've got my military instruction days coming back to me. First step is that we are going to write out the definition of who is Jesus to you. Not to the world, not anyone else, but to you. And no one's going to see this other than you, unless you choose to share it with someone. You're going to write it out. And then as we look at some things throughout Scripture and other, th other areas that we're going to look at, what I want you to do is modify your definition. It'd be one sentence or less is what I would recommend. I'm a bullet kind of person. I like bullets. Bullets are nice. So you can write bullets however you want to define. So we're going to have a little bit of music. We're going to take about one minute and we're going to write out who is Jesus to you. All right. looks like about two-thirds of you are looking up at me, so that means you're probably done. That's all right. You guys can continue uh, working on that uh, as we go along. I'd be curious into seeing what that you said. So we're going to start off with something a little bit boring You've heard of doctrine, like church doctrine, and in the military, that's something important is doctrine. You get this overview of what the military and what your role and all the functions is. It's this basic overview of doctrine, and you get into like tactics, techniques, and procedures for what your job is, and then unit level, you can get like SOP into how you function as a unit that's specific to you, and it's a lot like that in church. It's like we need to know and understand, and this is what Paul is saying in Colossians, like we need to understand who Jesus is. 
I mean, we really, on the doctrine, like, you really have to understand, because there's a lot of false teaching out there. We really have to understand. So I picked some really boring doctrinal things for us to look at real quick, and then we'll get into the scriptures, and uh, it'll move along pretty fast. But what I want you to do is I want you to listen to these definitions of God and who, who Jesus is. The first thing up is the New City Catechism, which is like a Presbyterian thing, but it's really going around a lot right now. I have one that's a kid's version. You can download the app, New City Catechism, and you can actually switch it over to kid version, and then you can have those questions that you can, basic Christian questions you can ask your kids. I got the little pamphlet, like a dollar on Amazon, they'll deliver it to you uh, for free, and uh, if you want the hard copy, it looks like this. If anyone wants this one, you can have it for uh, your kids. But City Catechism says this about who is God. It says, God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. They quote some verses in Psalm 86, and I just want you to listen to this. Psalm 86, 8 through 10, there is no... There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And then skipping down to verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a good, or are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. New City Catechism. So what does the New City Catechism say about who Jesus is, who the Trinity is, and about God? It says, how many persons are there in God? You ever think about that with the Trinity as persons? First person, second person, third person? There's three people, but was one persons, but there's one God says there are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are the same and they are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal in authority and equal in power. They are one. If you have been around very long, at the end, I will say, hey, let's say this together. We'll say amen at the end. I'll say Second um, Corinthians 13, 14, at the end of Second Corinthians, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you for now and evermore. So there is that presence in Scripture, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's what we believe, the Trinity, to be one. Now, if you go over to some older things, the Nicene Creed, don't fall asleep on me, but the Nicene Creed says this. Now, the Nicene Creed was a Roman emperor, Constantine, like he turned everything into Catholic or the Christian religion, right? So what he was doing is he was pulling everyone together, and he's like, hey, we need one definition of who God is and what we believe especially around the Trinity, and especially around Jesus. And here's what they came up with. 
We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible. And listen to this part. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son. Where else have you heard the word begotten? John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And begotten means only one of its kind, a specific relationship, son, father of this specific son, reference to Jesus, the only begotten son, begotten of the father, before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very good of very God, very God of very God, begotten, and here it is, not made, being of one substance with the father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. On the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sitted at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. All right, one last one. You guys hanging in there with me? All right. One last one, the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles did not, read the, did not write this, but it was passed down. The uh, History would say it was passed down as a teaching, the, the, the overview of what the Apostles were teaching. And it says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from dead. Talks about the Catholic Church later, if you read that on your own. Talk, the Catholic Church in these instances is talking about the universal. We call that the big C church here. It's like the church, the church all around the world. It's Christ's church. And the last one... The BFM, Baptist Faith and Message 2000, there's something in here that I wanted you to see. It says, there is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and all, of, and all other perfections. God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and his perfect knowledge extends to all things, past, present, and future, including the future decisions of his free of his free creatures. To him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. And here it is. This is what I want you to listen to. The eternal triune, the Trinity, God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct, distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. Now, I wouldn't expect for you to write that on your note card. But the thing that's really sticking out to me is that who this Jesus is, is that he is God. That he took on human form to come to earth, right? And to live a perfect life that we couldn't live. And his blood covers the sins, right? So that we can have a relationship. That son-father terminology can trip us up sometimes, but it's really in reference to a relationship. And he allowed us to have a restored relationship. All right. So that gets me to Colossians, Colossians back to Colossians chapter 1. So we're working through Colossians, 
We're taking our time. We're kind of going verse by verse. There's so much packed in here. And I'm praying that you get as much out of this as I was, as I was studying it this week. So I'm going to read through it, and we're just going to go back uh, and hit on some few points. All right, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. The Bible reads this way. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I don't think Paul was mincing his words when he was saying, hey, everything is about Jesus. Let's bring it back to Jesus. These things that you're hearing in the church that people are bringing in, we need to reel it back in. We need to make it again about Christ, about the gospel, about the good news, about the free gift that you would receive because of Christ and him alone. So I thank God for that. It's a battle to keep it about Jesus, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, to stay focused on Jesus and the essentials of what we believe. Here we see in this verse, it says, the image of the invisible God. An image is like an icon. Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's like an icon. He's like a picture. And we don't have a picture of Jesus and what he really looked like. But we see the image of Christ in the scriptures to know God's character, When you read about Jesus and what he says and what he did, he's the perfect image of our Father in heaven. He represents, he's the image of the invisible God. You want to know what our Father in heaven is like? Read and learn about what Jesus is like. And then you will know. Hebrews 1.3 says that the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of of God's glory and exact representation of his being. An exact representation is like taking something and putting it in wax. And it makes a mold. It's an exact representation of God. Jesus came to earth so that God can be accessible. So we can know what God is like to know the invisible God. Number two, firstborn of all creation. Firstborn. This really trips up a lot of people. I say somehow sometimes when cults get started, right? The first, the firstborn. It really tripped up that Jesus didn't exist. He was born. He came into existence. There's a lot of misunderstanding in other religions. Mormonism. It's like there's two beings, God and something else, that like created Jesus in heaven, and he became divine, and then he was born into the virgin birth. Jehovah Witnesses believe that, that Jesus was arch, the archangel, Michael, 
that he was not God. So we have to really understand this doctrine and understand this, even this firstborn of why does the Bible say that Jesus was the firstborn? I remember uh, working construction. I dropped out of college for a while. It was, my first job was working in a boat factory. I hated it. It was like a fiberglass in my arms. It was, everyone hated working there. Everyone hated life. I hated life working there, so I quit and I started working construction. And we were, I was out in the middle of nowhere and helping a guy build his house. And turns out he's a pastor. And I'm young in my faith. I don't really know anything. So I got it up enough nerve to ask him a question that was just burning within me. I said, well, where did God come from? Well, that's kind of a good question. And he was like, well, that's, you know, we think certain things here on earth, like two plus two is four, but in heaven things are different. I'm like, heaven, two plus two is not four? Like, I'm totally confused. But then he said, well, things are different in heaven. Like, God, he wasn't created. He's just always existed. He's always existed. He will always exist. I was like, you know. But it made sense. It's like, okay, well, I'm thinking of this as worldly terms. But in reality, God has just always existed. Same thing with Christ. We see that in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the, and the, and the Word created everything. And it says there in verse 2, it says that, that the Word was with God before things were created. That Jesus has always existed. It says, and the Word was God. You look at that chapter one. Jesus has always existed. He's always been there. And this idea of this firstborn, it's think about this. Think about what does an elementary student like to do more than anything else in the world? They like to be the line leader. You let them be the line leader, they're happy. They're, they're the firstborn, as the Bible would say. They're the first importance, the first one in line. It, all attention is on them. That's what the Bible means when it talks about being the firstborn, is being the first importance. It doesn't really mean that Jesus was born or the firstborn. Solomon in the Bible was not the firstborn sibling, but the Bible refers to him as the firstborn, that of most significance. The Torah was considered the firstborn book, the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. The firstborn, the most important, held in the highest esteem. I don't know about you, when, but when I go to Taco Bell, I always get the supreme, whatever it is, like make it supreme. Taco pizza, anybody? Pizza? Taco pizza? No? Melanie's like, no? Oh, Jack, all right. I always count on Jack. That sounds like it'll change your life if you never had a taco pizza. I went there one time and they were out of them. I'm like, are you kidding me? We get the Supreme, it like adds the, all the extra stuff on there, makes it even more delicious. Taco Supreme. No? Anybody? You can get cheap gas at Taco Bell? That's a really bad dad, dad joke. You can use that one. I always like get somebody, like, I found some cheap gas. But, sorry. Amanda's like, don't do that. But the first century rabbis, this was during Paul's time. Like, 
Paul was probably trained by these guys, these rabbis. It's probably why he used this word. But they called Yahweh God, the Father, the firstborn of the world. It's a term that they used. The Messiah, the coming Messiah to the Jews, the term that they use is the firstborn. It's a term of importance, of first, of position, not necessarily of coming to existence. In verse 17, or point number three, in him all things are created and held together. In him all things are created and held together. Jesus created everything. He created you. He created me. You look up at the night sky and you see all the stars. Jesus created that. He just spoke and it just leapt into existence. Not only that, but he holds it all together. He holds me together and I need it. Amanda said amen. I heard some kind of statistics about our universe and I thought it was really interesting. I wanted to share this with you. You know... uh, a comet has a vapor trail. You've seen pictures. And they say these vapor trails are like 10,000 miles long. The particles and the vapor, they say if you gather all that up and you put it into a, into a bottle, all the vapor, all the particles, and you compress it down, it would only take up one square inch by one square inch. Isn't that amazing? And Christ holds that all together. The sun is 93 million miles away. The surface of the sun is 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. If you fire a bullet out of a gun, our earth is going around the sun eight times faster than that bullet. Not only that, but we're spinning once a day, right? Not only that, but we're on a 23 and a a third degree slant as as the earth that's why we have seasons right like now we're tilted closer to the sun and we get on the other side we're tilted a little bit further away and that's why it's cold we're a little bit further away they call it the goldilocks area that we're in that perfect position around the sun if things were off just ever so slightly if the moon was slightly out of place if our rotation around the sun was slightly off, if the angle that we're slanted as the earth was slightly off, life would not exist, at least in the way that we know it. That Christ created that, and he holds it all together. Kelsey graduated last week, and things were busy and and crazy, and Other than a hiking trip that went kind of bad, started off going to be five miles and turned it up being like eight and a half, ten, some some people say ten, but, and our porch swing fell and almost broke Kelsey's leg, but other than that, everything went great. I was just waiting for like chaos to happen, like something really, you know, worse, all these people and all these things that were going on and constantly, but praise God, things worked out pretty well. It was like trying to hold it together and and how hard it was to hold just that together and to think about all that Christ holds together, 
doesn't even break a sweat. I mean, this is, this is Christ, our God who loves us. Verse 18, point number four, is that Christ is the head of the body of the church. And you think, well, we're just, Paul just talked about how Christ created everything. The universe holds everything together. And then he kind of transitions to the head of the church. It's like, it's kind of a bit of a letdown, right? Like, what is happening here? And why all of a sudden did we switch to the church? And I'll tell you this as a pastor. I say, church would not work and it would not exist if it wasn't for Christ. It's like, it proves to me that God exists. Like, people that would get together who normally probably wouldn't hang out, but we have that commonality of Christ and we serve him and we love him and we gather because of Christ. Say, hey, come volunteer, come, come on a Sunday during the, on the holiday weekend, give to the church, all these things. Like, that just wouldn't work if it wasn't for God and Christ being the head of the church. Jesus created such amazing things in this world. And then Paul mentions the church. I believe it's because Paul is saying, like, Christ, God, elevates the church. I mean, he elevates the church to, to the level of what he created. And that's how important the church is to Christ. It's extremely important that Christ is the head of the church. He is our director. Paul is bringing it back in to remind us that as a church. That it's, hey, it's all about Christ. Seek Christ's will. Follow his will. He is the head. We are the body. We just do what he tells us to do. No matter what. If you want to be blessed, do what Christ tells you to do as a church. He's the head. We're the body. Point number five. I only got six points. Point number five. In verse 19. I want to read this because I think this is really fascinating. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God is in Christ, and it pleased him. And it pleases him to have that Christ has the fullness in him. And all glory of God, all God's glory is in Jesus. It's because he's God. Because Christ is God. And there it says the, the fullness of God dwells. And dwells means permanent. That the fullness of God dwells in Christ and it's permanent. It's always been, always will be. And it pleased God the Father. The other thing that I thought about in Isaiah 53 is about what pleased God about Christ was when Christ went to the cross. It says, and God the Father bruised him and it pleased him to do so the fullness of God is in Christ that pleased him and that he was bruised on the cross he was lifted up for our sins so that you and I could have a relationship with God and it pleased the father to do that to his son you ever question how much God loves you it would not please me to do that to my son God loves you. All right, point number six. Last point here. 
reconciles to himself, Jesus, he reconciles to himself all things. I'm going to read that. Reconciles to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through his blood on the cross, we are healed. We are reconciled to God because of the work of his son, Jesus. Stepped out of heaven, onto earth. It pleased God for Jesus to go to the cross. It it pleased Jesus to go to the cross because he was perfectly obeying his father in heaven. He, He served us all. Jesus says, the low things on earth will be high in heaven. The high things on earth will be low in heaven. That Jesus lowered himself from heaven to earth. He lowered himself below everyone. Died on a cross. His blood reconciles us to the Father. So we have a relationship. And it pleased his Father to do so. What an amazing God that we serve. A relationship can be stored restored. So I'm going to hone it back in, and we're going to update our cards. I'm going to give you just a few moments to do that. But here's the one I want to point out. The Bible is clear, and all the things that we understand with doctrine to be clear is that there is one God, but there are three persons being all equal. The first person being the Father, the second person being the Son, and the third person being the Holy Spirit. And this idea of Father and Son is not a hierarchy, so to speak, but it's more of a relation. So don't look at it as higher or lower, but look at it as relational. That They have perfect relationship amongst themselves. We, as those that put our faith and trust in what Christ did for us, we have perfect relationship. That we are his friends, we are adopted sons and daughters, that we are his ambassador now. We are all these things that it talks about relational. As that Christianity equals Christ. It doesn't equal a religion about things to follow and things to do and try your hardest to be as good as you can possibly do. It's to follow Christ and to put our faith in him. But it's important for us to understand who Christ is. And I think that's why Paul is laying this out. And I think it's important for us to to go back and look at that. Jesus is God, and he is how we know God, the invisible God. So who is Jesus to you? And I ask this question, can you defend the real Jesus to false teachers? So I'm going to take just a moment. What I want you to do is everything we've talked about, especially Scripture. Just take a moment and just kind of rewrite your note card, and then we're going to wrap it up. All right. We can work on that a little bit. A little homework for tonight. But I want to challenge you in this way. Um, God's not going to ask you what you have done. He's going to ask you 
what you believe about his son Jesus and what you have done with what you know about Jesus. That's it. That's what matters. So again, I ask, who is Jesus to you? If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, we just read this part. It says, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are at peace with God. Because he looks at the work of his son, not your works. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are not at peace with God. You don't have that hope that we sang about earlier. I'm so thankful to God for Jesus and the eternal hope that I have. I'm so thankful that I have the faith that I do. I pray that God has given you that, that hope and that faith. I pray that he is putting in your heart who his son is. And I pray that he's putting in your heart the love that he has for each and every one of us. I'm going to pray here in a minute. The team's going to come up, and we're going to do one more worship song before we're headed out. But I just want to pray for you before we, before we do that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for a reminder in your word. Thank you for just bringing us back to the essence, uh, the essentials of who your son Jesus is. Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, there's no confusion that your son Jesus is part of of the Trinity. He is God. He created everything. He created you and he created me out of the overflow of your love that you have. Lord, you wanted to share that with us. Because of our sin, Lord, it separates us from us. That we don't have peace or hope. And Lord, that you sent your son, Jesus. on a mission to step out of heaven, to, to be low, the lowest person, to serve everyone, to die for us on a cross, that his blood would cover our sins and we can have a restored relationship with you simply by putting our faith and trust in your son, Jesus. Lord, sometimes the easy things are hard. Lord, help us to rest in that simple truth of the gospel. Let us help us to rest in Jesus. And Lord, as we're celebrating freedom this weekend, I pray, Lord, that that is setting people free. Free from trying to do all these crazy things to please you. Because nothing can please you outside of Christ. When Jesus is on the cross and he said it was finished, it was finished. He took all the sins of the world. For those that put their faith and trust in him, he took it on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins. There is nothing left to do but other to rest and to follow Jesus. Lord, I pray that is the ultimate freedom that people are receiving today. Lord, I pray that they know how much you love them. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the cross. And all God's people said. Stand with us.
sky from home all black.